This is 51st Dates, and I'm your host, Jolie Moore. They say that hindsight is 2020. I decided to find out if that's true. Every week, I'm going to read a chapter from my memoir, 51st Dates, and give you the backstory and commentary on what really went down. It's been two whole years since I went on these dates, and I'll be experiencing them along with you as I read. We'll find out together if my future self learned anything. I don't know if I have anything figured out, but at least we'll share some laughs along the way. Dating in Southern California is nothing if not entertaining. Ready? Strap in. Let's go. Welcome to episode 14 of 51st Dates, the podcast. This is your host, Jolie Moore. Can I say that if I had to do it over again, I should have kept the episode order the same as the chapter order? Um, Because I'm in episode 14 and chapter 13. Live and learn, I guess. Um, You know, maybe that's sort of the theme going on right now. Live and learn. From what I've been reading, there's this sort of period that uh, abuse victims go through where they seek clarity to explain what has happened to them over the years. And I avoided that phase for a long time. I didn't want to think about it. Um, My therapist would be like, you know, you're an abuse victim. And I'd be like, have you seen the weather in LA today? It's sunny and 75. Um, It's not something I wanted to acknowledge or talk about, but there was this one point. Well, I guess there's many turning points, but there's this one point. So the Los Angeles County uh, Superior Court requires that parties attend some kind of court-sponsored mediation, um, I think regarding custody. And I called up the court because all I could think of, well, let me say this. I called up the court because my ex was like, we have to do this mediation. Isn't this great? We're going to be in the same room together. Let's work things out. And um, I lived with him for 20, God, three years. So I know that what he says and what he does rarely meet. So all I can think of is like the dread of that catapulted me into action. So I called the court and I said, look, what do you do with victims of abuse because clearly putting an abuse victim in the same room with an abuser to manipulate a court process in their favor maybe doesn't seem like an idea at which point of course then they're like oh we have a protocol for that and they gave me the protocol so I when I got to the court I had to check in and then they put me in a separate room this is like the worst thing this is like can I tell you, at some point you look at your life and you think, oh my fucking God, how did I end up here? So I'm in a room with two other women and files or storage or something. Um, The Stanley Mosk Courthouse uh, downtown in Los Angeles is like an old building, which is kind of rare for LA. So it was sort of like being in a hot East Coast building, like everything was wood, and marble and hot as hell so I'm sitting in this room I can't even tell you what month it is I don't even know and there's nothing but two big screens on the wall and 
I mean, I guess like at the doctor's office or at hotels or even at airports now, even my son's orthodontist office, everywhere you go has like some big screen and stuff scrolling on it. It's crazy if you ask me. Anyway, there's a big screen and the left side is in English and the right side is in Spanish. And it was like, this is what domestic abuse is. And it lists all these things. And it was like, it starts off with like, if some, just because somebody doesn't hit you or hit you all the time, doesn't mean it's domestic abuse. And so I'm a kid who read pretty early. I read around three um, and I lived in New York city. So um, I spent a lot of time on the, the subway and they used to have, I don't, well, they still have them, I guess, to some degree ads up at the top. So when I was a kid, I used to sit and read the ads um, because it was the only reading material I had when I was really little. Um, and I was always fascinated by all the number of bizarre and different things. So I, I give you this background because whenever I go into a space and they have reading material, I always pick it up. Doctor's offices, you name it, I pick it up because it's going to be something I know nothing about. And so I sat there. I mean, I have a Kindle and, you know, a, a purse book. I mean, I always come prepared to phone, lots of stuff. And I sat there riveted by the screen because what they did on like screen after screen after screen was list all the things that had happened in the last 23 years of my life. And it was slightly horrifying. It's like if the person you're living with is, you know, pretending to hit you um, as a way of intimidation, if they hit the wall behind you and say, but look, I didn't hit you. If they go over to the pets and like grab them by the throat and then pretend to hit the pets as a proxy for you to get you to do what they want, this is abuse. If they're like screaming at you, throwing stuff at you, slamming doors, um, and I mean, on an ongoing basis. And it was just, it was, I don't even know what to say. It was the moment where I thought, oh my God, how did I not know that I was this person? And also, I don't know, like, how had this happened? So that, I guess that was the, that was a turning point. It was just the most horrifying thing. I will skip the uh, mediation session because I, I didn't have to go in with him. But at some point I was leaving the mediator's office and I said to her, well, I'm not interested in having contact with this guy. What do I do? At which point she says to me, I should look up her name because it was, it was horrible. Again, I should out her. At which point she says to me, well, he didn't look angry, so I think you should be okay. And that's what she said. And I walked in the hall and he was, of course, standing there waiting. And I just had to keep walking. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I just had to keep walking um, out the courthouse and to my car um, and hope that he didn't follow me. But since he works downtown, presumably he was going to take where he works. They have a free shuttle and they were going to call the shuttle and take him to his office or something. I don't know. Um, so that was like, it was slightly horrifying. And I put that out of my mind for quite some time. But maybe in the last few months, really, I sort of after like dealing with the guys um, in this book, I was like, something's crazy because most of the world's not crazy. I don't feel like I'm crazy, but I'm only attracting a whirlwind of crazy into my life. So something, something's got to change. 
So I started reading these books and God knows there's YouTube videos, there's podcasts, who knew? All of these things that describe like what it's like living with a narcissist, what it's like living with a person who's mean and all of these things. And it's like, oh, this is a thing. God, God save us all. And all of these behaviors, lists, things that you're describing are exactly what I live through. Um, which is, I don't know, in one way reassuring because then it's not just me. Like I'm not the singular person who's had this experience, but, um, I don't call it re-traumatizing, but it's just like, that's a hard space to live in. And to be frank, I think I'm about done. So I just finished a book called Out of the Fog um, by a woman who actually, she has a YouTube channel. Um, she calls herself Dana Morningstar. And I think her channel's called Thrive After Abuse. And in the last couple of weeks, I was like, I think I'm just done with this. Like, I don't know 10 more ways I can read about what happened to me again and again. I got it. This thing happened. It was horrible. I am trying to get out of it, but you know, it is what it is. So I made sort of a turn like yesterday or I don't know, in the last few days, I sat down and thought to myself, all right, I got to beat him what a bad relationship is. I can tell you 10 ways to Sunday. I think I am 90% sure that if I got approached by one of these people again, I would see the writing on the wall. Um, so then I, um, I have a meditation app. Actually, I use Insight Timer. And instead of looking up, like, how to, like, deal with, like, you know, PTSD or, like, relationship trauma, I've started looking at articles, finally, maybe, on how to have healthy relationships. Because I think if I had that information going in to dating, either two years ago or 22 years ago, um, or, you know, whatever, I would have, I don't even know, well, I would have been armed with more information. I don't even know if, like, the concept of, like, healthy versus unhealthy relationship was a thing that I was even cognizant of. I'm not even sure if people were talking about it, always, or if I just tuned out to that entire segment of the world. Both are possible. And um, it's been intriguing because I don't think I ever thought about what a healthy relationship is and all of the behaviors from here probably to the end of this book, I think do not display any of those on my part or on the part of the people that I've been dating um, and it's a turning point. Um, but like I was reading, so I just started, did I start a new book? I don't even know. I finished the boundaries and dating book and now I think I was listening to a podcast called the adult chair. And one of the, the topics was healthy relationships. It's the same for a couple of the podcasts that I've downloaded and I've been listening to them while driving to and from the beach because biking and COVID. And, um, it's just like, mind-boggling. 
it's like if you're confused every time you have a conversation it's probably not a healthy relationship i thought confusion was just the space that you lived in if there's a lot of ambiguity then it's probably not a healthy relationship i thought ambiguity was a space that you lived in if you have to tiptoe around certain topics or you feel uncomfortable it's probably not a healthy relationship I thought you tipped around, tiptoed around people's things out of tact and politeness. It, um, I think one of them suggested that if somebody does something that is disrespectful, then what you should expect is apology and a change in behavior. And what I've always gotten is either it's my fault um, or it's the fault of their ex, it's the fault of their dog, it's the fault of their mother, it's the fault of society, it's the fault of their job. I could listen. I mean, I've heard the blame game. Um, nobody I've ever dated has taken any responsibility. So that there's that. And the other thing I think I've done the last week, and I this this is like therapy. I swear to God, excavating this thing, these kinds of things, is like <laughs> if there's like a one to ten scale of enjoyability, this has got to be like negative thirty two. Um. But one of the books I read a few weeks ago did suggest doing like a relationship autopsy and I've never done it. And it's like 16 questions um, that you sort of use to examine your relationship. And um, I answered 16 questions for all the significant relationships in my life. The answers are all identical, nearly. Um, I swear to God, like, the thing is, I have a type, which we're not going to discuss, but because um, I get kind of embarrassed to say it out loud. But I will say this. I lived in L.A. a long time. I have been to auditions, not for myself, but for somebody else. And if you ever go to an audition in L.A. and they ask for a, I don't know, 25 year old, whatever, you can go into a room and there will be like 50 people who look identical and you think to yourself people are fairly unique and it is so creepy to see that i was in an audition once for two different things i was probably like um i don't know i think it was a commercial for cuties those little tangerine things and um they must have had two different types because like there was one set of people dressed like i don't know what maybe that was a gas station they were on a separate part of the casting i don't know and they all looked alike. And then the second group was a different, entirely group of people who also all looked alike. And it's creepy as fuck, to be frank. I don't know. It's one of those things in LA that I'm just weirded out by. That said, if you put all the people that I ever dated and had significant relationships with in a room, it could be a casting call. And they would all look damn near the same. So I thought that that was my type. And I was... And I've been criticized by people who suggested that because my type is fairly specific, although to be honest, it doesn't seem that specific until I look up and then you're like, oh, that's specific. Um, and by the way, Thunderbolt fits right in there. So much so it is creepy scary. So you have this type. And I thought that people kept saying to me, well, if you didn't date a guy who looked like A, B, or C, then maybe you wouldn't get the same behavior as if somehow looks and behavior are tied together. So I don't think that's the thing. And my therapist has suggested I should give up my type. I'm not sure yet about that, but I'm thinking about it. But that said, the behavior was the same 
I mean, the behavior about like the heavy pursuit and then they pull away. The fact that they always have like an ex lingering around, the fact that they blow hot and cold and in different ways. And so the thing is, every single time it feels like it's starting out different, but doing the the autopsies, as it were, shows you that it ended up being the same. And I have this sort of feeling in the pit of my stomach that I used to think was jealousy. So every time I dated someone and then their ex popped up, I would have this feeling and I would choke down the feeling because I think jealousy is not something that, you know, it's not a good look. So I would just tamp it down, but I'm starting to wonder if maybe that feeling is not jealousy and it's some other kind of feeling that's like danger, 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 like a blinking light or a red flag waving. And I'm like, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. That's jealousy. I'm going to tamp it down. I know it's 1130 at night and he's on the phone with her and he has to save her. They always have to be saved, these exes. Or they can't quite break away because he can't break her heart or whatever it is. And the indication is my body's like, you got to get up and walk away. Now, the fact that they're always like at night makes it hard to get up and walk away. Well, maybe not hard. Made it hard for me. And, um, but all of that, I'm going to honor that. So that feeling that I get where I'm dating someone and I feel like really uncomfortable, I think that's my sign to walk away. Um, among other signs, like them lying to me right up front. There's a lot of that in this book, I think. Um, except some people who don't lie who are <laughs> upfront about their dishonesty. <laughs> Go ahead, right? So, tide is turning. I think the next step is how to have a healthy relationship. I think I actually just downloaded a book from the library this morning. And um, maybe I'll get to that after I write. We shall see. Are you ready for Naughty Dread? Oh, this guy. I think my memory of this guy, um, I don't know. Like my basic memory is that he was pretty, his Tinder profile was like pretty sexual. And I don't know why I clicked on it. Probably because he was cute. That's always the way. But I had some thoughts about this. I guess maybe it'll, maybe it'll be in the chapter. I don't know. It's been a while. Um, I usually give people my phone number and I now I hear that this is too early and I should not give people my phone number. Nobody's really harassed me. So I don't know. But I also let people in my apartment clone that I don't know. So my boundaries are all over the place. But my recollection, I don't know why I didn't give this guy my number. Maybe he never asked. And the date was odd. I will say, and I don't know if I described this in there, for some reason, well, <laughs> like some reason, I had a horrible feeling right after class, a car guy left, and then I went on this date. And I remember feeling horrible, but I couldn't pinpoint why I felt horrible. There was a guy who was pursuing me, as it were, and he'd come over and we'd had dinner and sex and whatever, and he'd left after revealing, he had, he had a felony conviction where I think he killed somebody in a vehicular accident. And then I went on this date, but I felt really horrible the whole time. Actually, I don't know why I felt horrible. That's a different conversation. But I got to this date and 
I was not in my best form, but I went anyway because I do like meeting new people and I'm convinced that there are plenty of people out there. I mean, it's a huge metropolitan area and I can't meet them unless I leave my house. So here we go. Date number 13. Chapter 13, The Naughty Dread, March 1. I sat on my couch dozing for a good couple of hours while I talked myself into the date. I liked classic car guy a lot. I hadn't liked anyone in that way in so many years the feeling was both unfamiliar and so very familiar at the same time. Reluctantly, I showered, dressed, brushed my hair, and put on perfume. I clicked on the many bracelets that often felt like cool grand armor and walked from my back door to my car. Even with the music at full blast, I couldn't stop thinking about classic car guy. For some reason, I couldn't quite pinpoint why thinking about this guy who I liked made me incredibly sad. If you'd been driving on Santa Monica Boulevard in Beverly Hills at precisely that time, I'd have been the girl in the SUV alternately singing at the top of my lungs and crying. I think I was sad because nothing had gone right for me relationship-wise in life, and the hope that this one could work out for whatever period of time it would felt daunting or unrealistic. Either way, I heeded the advice of the stack of dating books my friend had sent my way unsolicited. They all said, until you have some kind of commitment with one guy, you should very much see others. So I got to the bar where Naughty Dread suggested we meet in West LA and went about the task of finding parking. I walked around the corner and down the block between my car and the bar and took in a deep breath. I shrugged off the feelings about classic car guy and settled into my cool girl skin, fluffed my hair, and pulled open the heavy wooden bar door. I looked down at my phone and scrolled for his Tinder message. All the way in the back by the fireplace, it said. Once my eyes adjusted, I followed directions and into the back room. It was bar dark obliterating any of what was left of the late afternoon daylight that was outside. It was a smallish room with six couches and the requisite California faux fireplace, the kind that flicks on with a switch and kind of looks real until you stare at it for more than a few seconds, and it never puts out much heat. If I'm being honest, why I swiped right on Naughty Dread in January, I probably wouldn't swipe right now. He was a white guy over 40 with dreads, solidifying the story about how he'd pushed aside corporate America to do his own thing. The reasons I'd swiped on him were that he was Canadian by birth, which I figured probably meant that he was nice, polite, and said sorry and thank you and about, or with an accent, and he indicated in his profile that he believed in a woman's pleasure. All this had been laid out quite poetically in his profile interwoven with a picture of his two young Weimariners. Two months later, I was already feeling quite jaded and wouldn't have swiped because while he wasn't homely, he wasn't that cute either, and attractive to me was my current standard. The best part of being the cool girl and not having anything invested in a date is that I didn't care about the outcome. I had no nerves and could really zero in on him, give him the cool girl experience. It felt like a superpower. I greeted Naughty Dread with a hug. It felt like a standard California greeting. He was wearing a striped hoodie and jeans, canvas sneakers, and white sports socks. White socks. Wasn't my taste, but hey, I wasn't that interested in dating him. And with his house in complete disarray, there was no pressure for sex. With that off the table, I could settle back and have a good time. 
I checked to see when we first connected, Naughty Dread said. It was on January 11th. I like odd numbers, so that seems auspicious, especially as today is March 1st. Numerology wasn't my thing, but he seemed to think somehow the date we connected on Tinder was auspicious. It had been nearly six weeks between that initial message and our meeting because Naughty Dread was a serious adult. He'd sold one house and bought another. The current one was in the midst of renovation. He had a family and friends and a life. After ending a relationship where my ex-husband had few interests outside of me, it was refreshing to meet people with full lives of their own. He had actually invited me to dinner before, but it had been after a date with 99 books, and I wasn't in the best mood that day. It was raining, and I'd spent an hour and 37 minutes carrying a conversation with a guy with zero confidence in himself and life. I didn't have the energy to do it again. Naughty Dread used to be a senior vice president at a studio in Burbank. He told us a few stories of what it was like working at the top of the Hollywood food chain. Then we talked about renovations and money pits. Los Angeles is famous for them. I had a 1920s Spanish one. Now he had a mid-century one in Topanga. The thing was that the conversation was easy. It wasn't awkward. It wasn't uncomfortable. I was more forthright and honest than I was able to be with classic car guy. Five hours. That's how much time we spent together. Five hours. It was fun. I actually laughed out loud several times. I didn't even realize I'd skipped dinner until I got into my car at nine on a Friday night. I didn't even let all the comments about how hot I was bother me too much. I tried to take them in, say thank you, internalize that feeling of being admired, desired. The perverseness of the date drove me batshit crazy. Part of me thinks it was easy to be open to Naughty Dread because I didn't care. Or maybe it was because he was older. That it made me feel like there was something very wrong with the way I was going about the whole dating thing. Because I wasn't sure what I wanted. I, do it, I knew I didn't want marriage. After trying it though, I wasn't sure I wanted casual either. When I woke up, there was a message waiting for me from Naughty Dread. I enjoyed meeting with you, communing with you, and witnessing your beauty. They were nice words, sweet words. I guess I just wished they'd come from someone else. That's so interesting. For five hours, I didn't say very much. Um, I think my... Well, let me say. What do I remember from the date other than crying on the way over in my car? I parked. I remember where I parked. I think they're building a building over there. It's really weird. Anyway... Let me say this about LA. They're building a building everywhere. You drive down a street and then you drive down like three months later and it's unrecognizable. It's true for both commercial streets and residential. Anyway, I, um, we went to a bar. I think the bar is called Mom's. I don't know. It's somewhere in my Instagram feed. And um, I'm not really a bar person. So I think when I started this dating process, I was in more bars than I'd ever been in my entire life. I don't think I was, well, I was too young in college because I turned 21 my senior year. I think I was pretty young. So I didn't go to bars in college. Um, And law school, there were a lot of people who went to bars, but they all went to this one bar that served beer. And I don't really like beer. So that I didn't really go. And then I didn't really date after grad school because I married the guy, the second guy I dated in grad school. Um, so there were no bars in my life. And, um, and also having a mother who's an alcoholic 
will keep you out of a motherfucking bar like you wouldn't believe because you know the fear of being around a lot of alcoholics um doesn't make me uh feel comfortable at all um anyway this guy he was fine um he was fine he was kind of odd in that sort of california way like i don't know was he from toronto i don't remember where in Kenny where in canada he was from but i don't even know if he'd maintained his canadian citizenship i don't even know if he's from the era where he could maintain citizenship or if he even had has u.s citizenship i don't even know why i'm gone and then i digress anyway Canadian does equal nice like so he wasn't like too like assertive but he did the thing that actually comes up later and for some reason makes me uncomfortable and I'm gonna have to think about this I don't know why some like men like try whatever I don't know like to touch you on the first date like I don't necessarily want to be touched by somebody I have just met um, it's, I don't know, it's a thing. Like, you know, I can touch my friends and I touch my kid and, you know, but, you know, and I'll shake people's hand and stuff, but I don't know if I want that kind of sexual contact on a date. And yes, I hear the irony of this because I love that kind of sexual contact with somebody I don't know. Different conversation. Um, but then I know what I'm in for. This in between is a little weird. So, the thing about this guy, and actually people say this all the time, and I don't know, like I'm not a guy, so I'm not going to even be able to do this, but they're always like, oh, your hands are so sexy, which is weird because I'm a human and I have like regular hands. Like I have the same five fingers on each hand that everybody does and they're just hands. And if you look at them too closely, you start to like notice the ape in yourself because <laughs> when you look at apes at the zoo, you're like, oh, well, that looks a little bit like my hand, chimpanzees and uh, gorillas and stuff. Anyway. So I have a hand, it's just a regular hand, and um, men are always like, can I touch your hand? Can I stroke your hand? Your hands are really sexy. And for reasons I cannot put my finger on, that makes me feel really weird and uncomfortable. And he was one of these guys, can I touch your hands? I like your hands. I'm like, oh my God, they're hands, and now I'm going to sit on them because this is weird. Um, The other thing was, I was starving so by the time I got in my car I was literally starving but LA is not at its best a late night city like I mean restaurants have like their last seating at nine this is not New York where there's like a seating at like eight and a seating at like 10 or 11 so food after hours is like pretty much a no-go unless you get food at home or you go to Cantor Cantor's or I forget there's like one other place that's uh open 24 maybe Mel's Diner I don't know but those they're all it's all diners um jewish diners or jewish delis or and like you know other diners but just like you know how much diner food can you eat and i don't really like diner food so i i don't know i probably went home and went to sleep and just skipped eating and then got up and went to the gym in the morning or whatever but i um that's what made me uncomfortable um but the good thing was his house seriously was under renovation and so like he could certainly not invite me back and you know I had to think about that because there was something so overtly sexual about him that made me uncomfortable and I really I just couldn't put my finger on it but all I thought of was I'm not giving him my number and I'm not going home even though he was Canadian and seemed nice and fairly like above board there was just something about him that made me uncomfortable and 
even though I clearly, rarely honor that feeling, I honored that feeling here. And so after that last exchange on Tinder, I believe I think I deleted his profile or whatever. Whatever you do when you swipe on people and the match disappears and they disappear and I think they can no longer match with you. Not 100% sure about that, but I think that's my best recollection. So um, that's it. And I'm going to go figure out if I'm ever going to get divorced. I'm like nearly two and a half years in. I think we may be at the end. So I'm going to go call up my attorney and hope for the best. It was lovely chatting. I'll be in your ears next week. I'm Jolie Moore, and this has been 51st Dates, the podcast. If you enjoyed listening, I hope you'll share, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts. It will help others find the craziness that is dating in Southern California. Also, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you'd like to read ahead, my memoir, 51st Dates, is available wherever books are sold. A link is always included in the show notes. I'm also a romance writer. If you want to know more about my books, please visit joliemore.com for more information. You can also follow me on Instagram at xojoliemore and on all social media at the same handle, xojoliemore. Thanks for listening, and I'll be in your ears next week.